6, Mark chapter number 6. Does anyone need a handout for the sermon today? I kind of just lost my ushers because I did things backwards. Hopefully you got one. Everyone got one that needs one? All right, good. Otherwise, I was going to make Joe do double duty back there, but he could handle it. Mark chapter number 6, and we're just continuing right along right where we are. And I believe that the message this morning, it's not a 4th of July Independence Day message, but I believe the message that is here is what we need on this Independence Day. And I believe it will be a help, and I believe it's exactly where we should be this morning. So Mark chapter number 6, we're going to read verse 7 through verse 13 this morning and dive right into the Bible here. We see Mark 6, verse number 7, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over, over unclean spirits. And he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save only a staff, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that, man, that men should repent, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Quite a few verses right here. We're going to look at these this morning. Break them down just a little bit. And Eddie, when you go to your seat, if you want to bring me one of those handouts, that would be great. We'll have a word of prayer, and we'll dive in this morning. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your love, grateful for this passage. I pray that you'd help us today apply this to our lives, apply this to our hearts. We need you. We love you. We thank you for your working in our lives, and we thank you for the working here in the Scriptures. And I pray you'd help us apply the truths that we see today. Help us. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We look at this passage here, and we looked at last week, if you remember, we started out chapter number 6, and we saw how the people, Jesus couldn't do many great things there in Nazareth because the fact the people didn't want, they didn't believe in him. They reject him, and Jesus marveled at their lack of faith. And so we see that Jesus continues on in verse number 6 there, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Today we look at he sends the disciples out in teams, in groups, to witness. And going with the gospel. And as, we th as I thought about Independence Day, and I thought about what our country needs more than anything, I thought this message lined up perfectly. What America needs today, they need, it needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we need more than anything today is for God's people to go with the gospel and share the gospel with those around us. That's what we need. And the sad thing is we are seeing less and less and less Christians going out with the gospel and sharing the gospel. The message has not changed for 2,000 years. We're supposed to go. That's Bible. We're going to look at this passage today and let it be a help to us today and try and help us as we dive in. And we see basically Jesus sent the disciples forth on a short little missions trip giving the gospel. And so that, and that's one of the wonderful things we see about Jesus. 
Jesus and his disciples, Jesus didn't, just didn't have his disciples so they could sit and learn from him all the time. He gave them knowledge so they could go out and use it. That's what he did. He was training those so they could go out. Because he realized he couldn't always go out and he wasn't going to be there a very long time. But he was, God gave him those disciples to send them forth and to teach them to teach others. So as we look at this passage today, there are several things that we can learn. But before we dive in this morning, I think it's important that as we look at this in context, I want to note that this passage contains some unique and specific instructions that were given to the 12 disciples here. So before we dive deep into it, I want you to see what was unique to them here and not necessarily something that we have to go with. You, you can bring some food with you when you go out, okay? You can do that. You can do certain, but there are certain things mentioned here. I just want to dive in real quick and give them to you just so you understand a few things. Letter, letter A, the first thing that we see is that they were initially sent only to the Israelites. Matthew 5, verse 7 through 10 tells us, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Initially, that's where they began. Letter B. The next time they're sent out, the restrictions of no provisions is revised, is reversed, sorry. We see in Luke chapter 23, verse 35 and 36, and the people stood beholding, and the and that is not the verse that I want right there. And so we'll have to just skip that verse right there. But basically, the second time they go out, they are allowed to have food and things. This was unique and special to this trip. Letter C. Later, their mandate is to make disciples of all nations, according to Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. And we also see in Acts 1-8 the fact that the gospel is supposed to go everywhere. So this was a unique little trip here. And sometimes you've got to understand, when you take the Bible and you look at things in context where it's at, not everything is going to be the way that we are supposed to do it. You see some unique things, especially this first time as they do it. And then you've got to understand, number letter D, also the early church did not view these initial instructions as normal. Sometimes they ministered in pairs, but it didn't always happen that way, did it? No, it didn't always happen that way. Is it smarter to go in pairs? Yes, I believe it is smarter to go in pairs. But it doesn't always happen that way. And we'll look at some things today as we dive into this passage. But while we look here today, there are three main principles that we can take from this passage. And there's application to the way that we live today. Number one, as we dive into the meat of everything, we see teamwork. The importance of teamwork. Verse 7 says, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two. The word called here has the idea of summonsing. The use of began gives the sense that Jesus individually commissioned each pair of disciples here. The word send literally means to thrust out. That's what he did here. And this was Jesus' plan all along with his disciples, wasn't it? To be able to send them out. What is the, and you, when we think about that, think about what he said back in chapter number 3. 
in verse number 14, that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. That was his goal with the disciples. So we see right here he sends them out. And as we look at this, he sends them out two by two and two. There are other occasions where Jesus did the same thing. You think with me in Mark chapter 14 and verse number 3. And you think about the fact that in that passage, two were told to get the room ready for the Passover meal. Mark 11, 1, two disciples were sent to get the colt for Christ. And then in Luke 10, verse number 1, he sends out 70 in teams of two. You think about John the Baptist sent them out in groups of two. Um, Paul and Barnabas were a missionary team. Paul and Silas. We could go through a list of so many different ones. Moses and Aaron were two, right? So we think about as we look at the Bible and we think about an Old Testament verse, Ecclesiastes. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, verse 9 and 10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor and if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. There are a lot of benefits in ministry to doing things as a team. And we could just run through a couple of those this morning, but think about this. There's greater safety. When you have more than one person, you think back in Bible days and as they traveled, our travel is a lot easier today than what their travel was in those days. But it was much better to be traveling with two people than just one person. There's great safety in that. And even today, it's a lot safer. You go witnessing. I think it's great for you to go two by two. I think that's a great way to do it. Now, it doesn't always, there are days where I go by myself. But for the most part, I like going two by two. I like that. And there's, there's a great safety with it. There's encouragement. You can encourage somebody when you're with them that you can't. You think about it as you teach a Sunday school class, it's much better to have two. So you can encourage one another. There's also accountability. Accountability is a big thing. And in our world today, and especially in our world today, you teach in children's ministry, you help in a kid's ministry, and this is a rule around our church. If you are in kids' ministry, you serve in any, there's got to be two, always, for accountability's sake. It's important. Because in our world today, one kid says anything, and that kid's believed automatically. And part of the time, that kid is telling the truth, too. So I get where that comes from, but we got to be careful. And we just, this last year in our Christian school, we had a situation. And we've got to figure out, i got to change something to make things a little bit we talked about discipline and, or giving out, yeah, discipline and things in the school. We've got to make it to where there are two adults present, so it, that, there's got to be some things that change. So it's important. Accountability, it's a big thing. That's why if you see we pick kids up for church, there's normally two in the vehicle and things like that. Accountability is a great thing. Another thing about having more than one person is the blending of gifts and the abilities often offsets the weakness of others. So let's say myself and someone else is doing something together. We're serving the Lord together. I have my weaknesses. They have their weaknesses. Well, let's hope that maybe their strengths are my weaknesses and their weaknesses are my strengths. Wouldn't that be great, right? So you help each other in those areas. That's another great thing about teamwork. And you think about this. 
when witnessing, it's great that one can be witnessing and then you got someone there who can pray during that time. Or I've been along with somebody witnessing and then you always have something. There's a dog or something. And it's amazing. Dogs will come up right at the wrong time. You're trying to witness to someone. They're interested in the gospel and the dog will just come up and start barking, whatever the case may be. And I remember one time I was a teenager and a dog came out and I was the, I was the silent partner. And the dog was barking, and so I leaned down, and I was just going to pet the dog and just help out to keep the dog quiet so that they could keep witnessing. And I got bit by the dog on the leg. I'll never forget it. I didn't really help keep it quiet that time. That didn't do a very good job. And so, but that also, that's a good thing. One can be preaching. One can be praying. When you think about teamwork, you think about you could tag team in a conversation. And where I might stumble on something, you might be ready to go. Teamwork's a great thing. It's, a gr- it's, it's great to have, and it's important. And you think about this, they can witness what happens as well. Jesus referred to what Deuteronomy 17, verse 6 tells us, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses, shall he be worthy of, de- of death, be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. There's this, it's a lot better way to do ministry in teams. And I wonder how this worked out for Jesus and the disciples here. You think about this. If you notice when he called the disciples and when he paired them up, you'll notice that he paired them up in Matthew chapter 10, verse 2 through 4. It says, Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the first Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Then James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the publican. James, the son of Alphaeus and Lebius, whose surname is Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Poor Simon being teamed up with Judas, right? Or think about this, you got the, you got the, you got the, what's my mind? Come on, Brian, your brain needs to think this morning. You got the doubter and the publican together. You got Thomas and Matthew together. That's quite a combo right there when you look at that. And then leaving brothers together. I'm sure Andrew and Peter, come on, can I have someone else? We, li- we grew up together, James and John, whatever the case may be. And uh, when we look at these things and we look at it, I remember, and this is going to be a great example of one of my, one of my shows I enjoyed as a, younger, as a younger kid. Not really a young kid because it's kind of not. Anybody remember the A-team? I I like the A-team. Some of you might not. I like the A-team with, uh, with Mr. T and all of that. There was one episode where drug lords hired a bunch of mercenaries to take down the A-team. And the colonel, Mr. What? John, John Hannibal Smith, yes. And uh, he looked at them this way. He said, now the next time you think you want to take somebody out, pal, don't get a squad. Get yourself a team. And the main point of that is a team of committed people, a team of committed people always beats a squad of individuals who don't care about each other. And may I just tell you today, that A team was not a real team. But when you're on Jesus' team, you really are on the A team. It doesn't get much better than that. And that's why it's so important as we talk about our church and going forward, these teams that we're forming and the, the thought process behind these things, you've got to understand something, there's a purpose behind it because we we will be able to much more for god as we do it together 
And that's where we have to, and one of the reasons why we're going to be doing some of the training that we're doing is just to help us get that mindset that two are better than one. As some of you look like, it's, it's true. If we're going to do more for God, it's going to be done together and not separate from one another. It's very important. And we'll talk about that as we go further. But you understand that as we look at things, Jesus sends these teams out. And the end of verse number 7, he gave them power over unclean spirits. They were given power to cast out demons and all these things. And they were able to serve the Lord and do great things. But we see that as we look at this and we begin here, we see the importance of teamwork. They were sent out in teams. Hey, if you are better as the Lone Ranger, it would do you good to learn from Jesus' model here and the importance of being a team player. We need to learn to work together. And one of the big problems we have in our church, and I'm being honest with you this morning, and one of the reasons why you see me going back and why we're kind of re- and I know some people are like, when are we going to start these teams and all of that? In two weeks, I'm gone for 12 days, the end of July through the month of August, all of that will kick off. I didn't want to start it and then be gone for a little bit and then start it up again. I want to start it fresh and go forward with it. But w- one of the, re- the big reasons is a lot of times a lot of us can't get along with one another. And if you can't get along with one another, we've got to understand what our purpose is. Get that nailed down. Focus on that and learn to work together. And you're going to notice you're not going to like everybody in this room. That's just the way it goes. You probably, some of you don't even like me this morning. I get that, and that's okay. But we're called to serve together. If you're part of this church, we're to serve together, work together. And so we see the first principle here this morning is teamwork. Number two, we see the importance of trust. We see the importance of trust. That's what's behind the restrictions that are listed in verse 8 and 9. It says, And he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, No script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. Their staff was their walking stick. And their sandals protected their feet as they walked. That's all that they were supposed to take. He didn't want them bringing bread in their backpack or their wallet because he was trying to teach them an important lesson on trusting him. Basically, what we see right here is Jesus is having them put into practice what he said in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 31 through 33. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all those, these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. How many of you, when you go somewhere on a trip, you like to bring everything and the kitchen sink along with you? And so, are you pointing at Vicky on that one? Yes. And um, Caroline is kind of the same way. She's not here, so I can talk about her this service. And I am like that at times. Let's say I'm unprepared and I got a trip to go on and I've only got an hour till I got to leave. Then I probably bring too much stuff because I just want to throw everything in there. But Caroline, we're getting ready for this trip to... Um, a wedding in her family's, and I'm thinking about four kids and clothes for 10 days, and I'm like, we're going to be at your mom's house part of that. Maybe you can wash some clothes. That's going to be a lot of suitcases and a lot of things happening. 
And as we look at this passage right here, and as we look at this, I want you to understand something. The Lord was telling them here, I'll take care of you. Just trust me. Now, I'm not telling you next time you go out not to take anything with you, your wallet or anything like that. But there's an important thing about learning to trust the Lord. We put a lot of trust in ourselves and the things that we can do. But the Bible makes it clear we're supposed to be seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. If we put God first in our lives, he will take care of everything else. I promise you that. I love what George Mueller said. He said, if the Lord fails me this time, it will be the first time. God wanted them, and he also wants us to learn the fact that he can be counted on. The children of Israel were in a similar situation in the wilderness for 40 years. They found out their clothes didn't wear out and their sandals didn't wear out. Why was that? Deuteronomy 29.6 tells us that ye might know that I am the Lord your God. And some of you ladies, what would you have done wearing the same clothes for 40 years or the same sandals? I don't know if you could have done that. That would have been awful difficult for you. But as we look at this and as we think about it, God just wanted them to trust him. Don't take anything with you. You're going to go out and you're going to preach the gospel. I heard this quote several years ago, and I love it. Attempt something so great for God that unless he's in it, it's doomed to failure. The disciples not only were traveling light, but they also served with a sense of urgency. They were supposed to get going here. And that's, it's so important. Sometimes we like to talk, 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 but there's got to be some action behind that talk. I heard a podcast this last, and I listen to podcasts a lot. Podcasts are good. There's a guy, Craig Rochelle, he pastors Life Church, but he does a leadership podcast. And I listened to this one just a while back, and he gave several good points, but this is what he said. Um, attack, don't yak. That was one of the things he said. And that, sometimes people say fancy terminology, and that sticks with me. Attack, don't yak. And what he said is this, as an organization, he is talking about in business or church, whatever the case may be, as an organization ages, it moves from a bias for action to a bias for discussion. And we've got to be very careful that we don't, don't turn into a, a discussion church, but that we're actively involved in the things of God. There's so much more that I could say there. But as we look at this and as we think about this passage, we see the importance of teamwork. We see the importance of trust. And number three, we see the importance of testimony. Testimony. Look at what Jesus tells them in verse number 11. He says, And whosoever shall not receive you and not hear you. Did you realize when you give the gospel, not everybody's going to receive it? it? That's the way it works. Not everybody's going to receive it. And so he says here, When he depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. This shaking the dust off your shoes is a graphic display that has its roots in Jewish culture. When a Jewish man or woman would travel to a pagan land, they would return, they would shake the dust off their clothes and sandals as a way to keep the contamination from coming back with them. 
So the lesson or the, what the message here is, anyone who refused to listen to the preacher sent by Jesus was unclean as God, in God's sight as the Gentiles were in their sight. For Jesus, think about this, he told them here that be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than those who heard the truth. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because the more revelation you receive, the more responsibility you have. To whom much is given, much is required. Like, I'll just put it this way. If someone goes to a good gospel-preaching church and never trusts Christ as their Savior, their judgment will be worse than someone who barely hears the gospel. I believe that's true. And what, that's what Jesus was saying right here. For Sodom and Gomorrah was more tolerant in judgment as we look at that than these people would be. And it's important that you remember something as we look at this. And um, the disciples, as they were to shake off their, the dust from them, was not a happy moment for them. They wouldn't do it with a sense of glee or happiness, but a sense of a broken heart. Because what this was doing was that they were rejecting Christ and fa- going to face judgment. And you've got to remember something when it comes to the gospel church this morning. Not everybody's going to receive it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Quite a passage of scripture right there. There's only one way, and it's Jesus Christ. We talked about that more on Wednesday night and things. As we look at these things, and you think about the disciples and people rejecting the message that they might have, do you realize that's what Christianity is all about? We live today, I don't understand, comfortable Christianity is not going to change this world. That's where most Christians live today. I want you to remember some of the things that the Bible tells us. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What does um, 2 Timothy three twelve tell us? Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not everyone's going to like your message. Not everyone's going to believe the message. What's the message that they preached? Well, you look there in verse number 12, and they went out and preached that men should repent. They preached the gospel. Same thing that Jesus preached, same thing that John the Baptist preached. They preached the message of repentance. It's a change of mind, and it's a changing from what you believe in and turning to Christ. That's what repentance is all about. And as we look at this, and as we tie this all together, I want to give you a few thoughts this morning as we close some application. The importance of the gospel. When is the last time that you shared the gospel with anyone? Just think on that for a minute. 
I know for some, COVID stopped them a lot from what they were doing in that realm, but I think that it's okay to be getting back to it. Did you know even during COVID, they were still going door to door trying to get people signed up to vote for an election? I think we could still be giving out the gospel during that time. But I want to give you a few application thoughts and some things for myself that I try to do myself to help me be a witness. So I want these to give these to you to try and be a help to you, some actions I do. Number one, tell yourself every day that you're getting older and that your life is but a vapor. Don't waste your life that God's given you. And I don't care if you're 12 years old today or if you're 100 years old like Gene. I don't care where you're at in between there. Could you hear me back there? I was just making sure your hearing was working this morning, that's all. So I was just, I know you purposely, even if you, do you, I don't, do you use a hearing aid? You do? That's why you always go like this and you turn me down when it gets time for the preaching. I thought, I thought you were just picking your ear. But anyways, you've got one life to live. And this is the thing you've got to remember. I don't care if you're 36 like I am, if you're 70, if you're 12, you don't know when your last day is going to be. My last day could be today. My last day could be 50 years from now. Who knows? You got one life to live. Life goes quick. And those of you in this room that are older than me, and quite a bit older than me, some of you that are double my age have told me that the older you get, the faster it seems to go. You've got one life to live. Don't waste your life. Hey, Christian, don't coast. Live with urgency to get the gospel out. Finish the race that God has for you strong. Don't waste your time today. Number two, tell yourself that everyone you meet is either going to heaven or to hell. This is what I try to do. So when I'm in the grocery store and I'm checking out, that clerk is either going to heaven or hell. When I go into the gas station, that person's either going to heaven or to hell. That person that cut me off on the road is either going to heaven or to hell. That person I jog by on the street is either going to heaven or to hell. Contemplate the horrors of hell and do all that you can to help tell people about heaven. If we would get a heavenly perspective of people and get this in our mind and realize, because this is a fact, people are either going to heaven or hell. There is no ands, ifs, or buts. It's one or the other. But tell yourself that. Number three, attempt to meet one new person every day and have a spiritual conversation with them. That is my goal every day, to meet at least one new person and have a spiritual conversation with them. And they might not want to hear my spiritual conversation. So what do I do? Shake up. No, I, don't, I don't do that. I don't shake the dust off my shoes. But just attempt it. Try to meet one new person every day and give them the gospel. Have a spiritual conversation. Let them know what Christ is doing in your life. This will push you and I out of our comfort zones. 
I know it does for me. Number four, live on mission. See yourself as sent by God to your family, to your neighbors. You know, God has you in your neighborhood for a reason. You ever think about that? There's no mistake why you live where you live. You, you can witness and you, can, you have been called to share the gospel with your family, with your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, your enemies. Think about what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Live on mission. We have a mission. Our mission is to get the gospel to this world. Our goal should be to get the gospel to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors. Number five, find a partner to minister with. Find a partner to minister with. Don't do it alone. Find someone. You want to go witnessing, find someone to do it. You come to church to fix something, bring someone with you. Find a partner to minister with. I think it's great in ministry. I love seeing married couples partner together. I love that. I think that I think that married couples should do more and more things together. And it seems like they do less and less together. But find a partner to minister with. And I think I think that it's great for a married couple to work together and serve God. I think it's very important. But there are a lot that it's not that way. Find someone and minister with them. That's what Jesus did. You say, but that takes time. Yeah, it took Jesus time too. But you've got to understand, that's how, that's how we train. That's how we grow. You find someone and help train them, help them do the work. And then number six, we talk about the importance of getting the gospel out. We need to pray for and support missionaries. One pastor said it like this, we've only got three options when it comes to missions. Are you ready? Go, send, or disobey. Those are the three options. We need to pray for and support missionaries. It's important. I'm just going to throw this out, and some people might like this statement, some might not. Our church, 20% of the tithe that comes in goes to missions. And I think that's a big disservice to the people of God because God's people don't support missions. I think that God's people individually should be involved in supporting missionaries. And you say, well, are you gonna, I'm not changing anything. We're not talking about changing anything right now. But what I'm saying is each one of us should have an active role in supporting missions. If you can go spend $5 at Starbucks on a drink, you could give $5 for a missionary to get the gospel around the world. And someone like, I don't drink Starbucks. When you go to McDonald's and get your Big Mac for eight bucks now, you can do the same you could do the same thing. Each month we have the prayer letters for our missionaries. Do you pick them up? Do you pray for our missionaries? Do you support missionaries? It's part of our job. It's part of what we're supposed to do. And so it seems like you can totally tell today is a holiday Sunday. You can totally tell it. I think some of you stayed up late last night, and uh, it seems 
it's everyone seems tired and just it seems real low key this morning, but that's okay. The truth of the gospel doesn't change at any moment. Just think about those six things, and we're going to close here in just a minute. But just t- tell yourself, you've only got one life to live. Don't waste it. Every day you don't tell someone about the Lord is a wasted day. Tell someone. Look at people for who they truly are. Souls that are either going to heaven or hell. Ask the Lord to help you witness to one person a day, one new person. And it might be they don't even let you say it. And you say, Pastor, do you every day witness to someone? That's my goal. Does it always happen? It doesn't always happen. I wish it did, but it doesn't always happen. But that's my goal, to find one new person. And this is, this is also my prayer. I don't think this is a bad prayer for you. Lord, lead, put someone in my direction today. And I will tell you this. Most of the time when I do pray that, Lord, put someone, lead someone in my direction, help me run into someone, he always does. I should pray that every single day, and I don't always pray it. But he does. And you say, well, how many of those people actually get saved? Very few. But a seed is planted. It's not my job to save people. He does that. It's my job to give the seed. I think we've talked about that enough through all of this. To to share the seed. Sow the word. That's all we're supposed to do. Live your life with a mission. Get mission-minded. When you stand before the Lord someday, what's going to matter? I think what you did for him is going to be what matters. I really do. How you served him. How you led your family for him. I think those are the things that are going to matter. We do a lot of things today that will not add up to anything in heaven. Find someone else to minister with. And then pray for and support missionaries. We need to. What America needs today, you look at America today. During prayer at the beginning of the service day, I quoted, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin's a reproach to any people. Are we a very righteous nation today? No. No, we're not. I also quoted, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And just because the dollar bill says in God we trust on the back of it doesn't mean that he is our Lord. The hope that we have for our country, for the freedoms we have for our children, is going to be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is what matters. So if you love your country today, and you love the Lord, And I think you can do both. There are some Christians out there, you shouldn't celebrate anything. We live here in America, and I thank God for our country. And God's been very good to us. And I I fully support that, and I am an American through and through. And I thank God for that. But I am a Christian, number one. And uh, what we need here in America is more Christians to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we need today. Let's help the cause Let's go with the gospel and do what Jesus sent his disciples to do, which he called all of us to do. Father.